So we're, we're doing a sermon today that those of you who come a lot have heard before. I'm just going to warn you, in fact, not too long ago. In fact, June 9th, um, we, heard, we heard something uh, on this. So um, I actually thought about skipping it because of that, because I just preached it. I think some people are going to remember that. Uh, but this is such an important part of Abraham's life. Like if I were a creative writing teacher and I was teaching you character arc development, this is like one of the pinnacles of Abraham's whole character development. So I don't want to leave that out. I also don't want to leave it out because Abraham, as I said, is our model of faith. And I think it's important to look at the model of faith that Abraham shows us because it's not what you think. And the third reason, I don't even know why this is, but for some reason I want this thing on Abraham to be complete. So I didn't want to leave out something so important. Now let me, um, but I, I, am, I promise you, those of you who are here on June 9th, it'll change a little bit. It won't be the same. So pay attention. Uh, I told you, when I get this new stage built, I'm walking. I'm going to get Nerf balls. And if I catch anybody sleeping, I'm throwing Nerf balls at them. I just... Uh, and then my luck, they'll catch him and throw him back. But um, <laughs> turn a dodgeball at Spirit Chapel. All right. So let me ask you a question. If you just take a moment, what is faith? Because faith is so incredibly important. More than any other religion, it, faith is important, important to Christianity. Every, we even call Christian, Christianity our faith. We don't refer to it as our religion. It's my faith. You know, my faith is Christianity. So it's really, really important. It's everything. It's really everything. If you went to Webster and asked for a definition, this is what you'll see. A firm belief in something for which there is no proof. That's one way of putting it. Uh, another way of putting it would be, we believe in a God that we cannot see, cannot touch, and cannot prove. And we, we accept that. Now, some Christians bristle that cannot prove because... To their minds, it's settled, but you couldn't prove it to somebody else. By the way, you know you can't prove it to somebody else, right? And Jesus Christ himself tells you that. Don't get frustrated if you can't prove to your friends. Like, it's so obvious to you. I see you all fighting with other people on Facebook. You can't, you can't, I don't think anyone's ever been converted on Facebook. You just give up on that. But uh, we, we can't see God, we know that. We can't touch him, uh, and we can't prove it. So where does this definition come from? Is it a biblical definition? Kind of. In Hebrews, uh, the writer of Hebrews puts it this way, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Okay, so the reason I start there is for, for two reasons. First of all, the thing I don't like about this whole definition of faith is it's missing one very important piece, which is how do you get there? You know, this is what faith is. Okay, great. But I need faith. Okay, <clears throat> I don't seem to have that. How, how do I get it? How do you get faith in something you can't see, can't prove, can't touch? How do you get that? And it's like really nothing really in the Bible about it. So you kind of, you ask somebody, well, how's your faith doing? And if they're, if they're honest, you know, Christians, we know how to answer questions that we know the preacher is going to ask. And so we have this, oh, my faith is good. You know, it could be better, but, you know, I feel it's growing or whatever, you know, cliches we use to tell people we're fine, we're fine. Um, but I'm going to be honest with you. It's like somebody come up to me, like if I had, if I had an angel come up to me and talk to me about my faith, my conversation would kind of go like this, I think. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Because I don't think I have it like that. You know, I don't know how about you, but I don't feel like I'm knocking out of the park on this whole thing. I, I am good for a little while, but especially when I have to wait for something, uh, I start losing my faith a little bit. I think God told us we're going to move to a new building. Thought it'd be before now. I've waited a whole year. I still don't have it. I don't know how Moses did it. 40 years with complaining Israelites. Don't know how he managed, you know. 
was talking to Victoria about this because, you know, we had this elders meeting, we're talking about our situation, and she was saying, it's been a year, you know, uh, how long does God need? You know, he created the world in seven days. How can he take more than a year to get us a building? And I said, well, you know, Joseph, he was in prison for 12 years. In the 10th year of his prison term, which he was completely innocent, um, in the, in the 10th year, he meets somebody who has the ear of Pharaoh. And he goes back to Pharaoh's court saying, I'll remember you. He must have thought, okay, finally I'm going to get some justice. Two more years pass before he gets pulled out of there. I'm sure that Joseph must have been thinking, God, you know, what's going on? I thought that this whole meeting that I had was going to set up my release, which, by the way, it, it did, but just not for two years. That's when it's hard to have faith. It's easy to have faith at the start of the journey. You know, when we see that mountain in the distance, we go, oh, we'll climb that. You know, I can, I'm ready. But you hit the mountain, you hit the high altitudes, you're gasping for breath, and you're thinking, what am I doing on this mountain again? I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But that's kind of how I am. It's like, I don't know, this faith thing. And if I had it, I know my life would be better as a Christian, and I just feel like I'm kind of failing there. Uh, now, faith is also called a gift in, the, in, the, in uh, 1 Corinthians, very famous where he lists all the gifts of the Spirit. Faith's lift, listed there. So it's a gift that's given to you. Cool. God, can I please have another one of those? I'll take the package of faith. I can unwrap it. There's nothing to do but unwrap it. I like that. I would love, love, love to have that kind of thing because faith is the key to all of Christianity. Yeah, you want your prayers answered. You're praying for, praying for somebody for salvation. You're praying for a job. You're praying for a house, a mate. You're praying for a family member to be healed or something. Faith's the key. We know this. Jesus himself says this. His disciples try to do a miracle. They fail. What happens? They say, why couldn't we do that? Jesus says, well, because he had little faith. That's why. Now, these are 12 people who left everything to follow him. He's looked at them and says, you guys have little faith. Wow. I haven't left everything to follow him. Where's my faith? And he goes on. He said, I tell you, if you had faith just as small as a mustard seed, you could say to that mountain, move from here to there, and it would pick up and move. I've been a Christian for a very long time. I don't know anybody with that kind of faith. I don't know anybody who had enough faith to, to move anything. I, I can't even get my dog to move sometimes. Forget the mountain, you know, although my dog's named after mountains, so I guess those are the same. I can't get him to move. can't get things to move in my life. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you can, but I'm just being honest right now. I'm having, in a faith is belief in something unseen. How do you get it? I mean, how do you build that up? Trust, I get you know, you, could, you get to know somebody, you get trust built over time and everything, but faith is like, it's unseen, untouchable, unprovable, but you're supposed to believe in it to the point where you trust that more than your own eyes and your own senses. Really? How do we do that? So the problem is it's really not in the Bible. Jesus says you have lack of faith, but he never says, here's how you get it. And you think, man, Jesus, that's kind of something you left out here then, isn't it? Uh, how, how do you get that faith? You know, Jesus himself didn't say it. So what do we do? If we look through the Bible, we don't see the how-to passage on faith. Here's how you get faith, you know. Second book of Hezekiah, chapter 3, or whatever. Hezekiah's not in the Bible. Don't look for it. Uh, so, you know, just this idea that there's some kind of a, 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 an instructional that we're missing somehow. And so that's okay because, folks, we live in America. And Americans are not shy about figuring things out and passing it on as though it's true. I mean, we're actually, this is our culture. We're very, very good at breaking things down and disseminating information. That makes us great teachers. It also makes us great propagandists in our culture. We're very, very good at these things. You want to see bad propaganda, look at a Soviet propaganda film. It's like so obvious. You want to see good propaganda, take a look at a Nike commercial. 
I mean, we're really, really good at this. We break things down, we separate it. And so basically what's happened in modern Christianity, and I don't know how long this has been going on, you know, but as long as I've been involved in Christianity, which is a long time, I was a preacher's kid, you know, so I was born into this, I was raised in it. You know, if it comes to teaching, man, I got the, I got the album, I got the t-shirt, I got the poster. I've got everything for it, right? I've been through this. So where, in my life, what's happened is faith teachers, and there's a lot of them out there, in fact, the who's who's list of people who are teaching on television and in podcasts and on the radio are usually word of faith teachers because it's a message that people want to hear. Hey, I can tell you how to get anything you want. Just come to my, come to my seminar, right? So that's an easy, easy thing to get people to come to. So here's basically what they said. Well, we really don't have anything to tell you how to increase your faith, but the opposite of faith is doubt. And we know how to tell you how to remove doubt. And almost all the word of faith teaching is how to get doubt out of your life. The idea is almost like you're on this little teeter-totter and you have faith on one side, doubt on the other. If doubt goes down, faith goes up. And so the idea is if we can remove doubt from our lives, then we'll have the faith we need to see the miracles that we're praying for. And there's all kind of different names for it, all kind of different phrases. Most of them rhyme, like name it, claim it, you know, shout out your doubt. You know, there's all these kind of things, blab it, grab it. I don't think that's an official one. But, you know, just things that rhyme that kind of tell you, here's how you get it. We need to just visualize it declare it in Jesus' name, and you need to make sure you stay focused on what you're trying to get God to do. Don't have any doubt. You can't have any doubt at all. If you have doubt, the faith is dying. And if you have any, some people teach, if you're like praying in a circle, and some of the people in the circle have doubt, cast them out. Tell them to leave. Can't have any doubt. Can't have anybody, you know, if we're going to pray for something, we've got to make sure that we don't have any doubt at all. We just focus on faith. So um, that's what we're taught. And, and in fact, there's three things you should never, ever, ever do. Never express disbelief, not internally and not to anybody else. Never speak with your lips, because confessing with your lips is apparently a big thing. And so you can't confess with your lips any doubt. And you have to declare uh, those things with your lips and never, ever, ever <clears throat> deny anything that was a promise in the Bible that God gave you. Those are like the big steps. I, I saved you guys a lot of seminars by, by giving you that. That's, the, that's a crib sheet for it. So um, that's what they teach. What does Paul say? So Paul is like the number one teacher on faith. He's always talking about faith and how important it is. So let's go with what he says, and we're going to jump into Romans because he's going to, Romans is considered, by the way, Paul's greatest letter, is considered his theology. It's like if you, uh, if you send an email with a, like a document attached, you know, that's what, that's what Rome, the letter of Romans was. He has his entire theology wrapped up. It is a dense, dense, dense chapter of the Bible, a lot in there. You really have to unpack it carefully. But this is where he really starts declaring the importance of faith. So I'm going to go jump over Romans 4, and this calls back to Abraham. We're going to get to him in a minute. Um, for what does the scripture say? Well, let's go to the scriptures, he says. Let's go there. You know, let's, let's, let's view the tape. So Abraham believed God in the presence of God in whom he believed. Now he gives God some cred here. He says, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. This is who God is. Don't forget who he is. He can speak life into existence. That God, he says, in hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. Because he'd been told it by God, so shall your offspring be. Now look at this. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. Okay, so this is the kind of setup. He's going he's to show us a picture of faith. Even though he's as good as dead, he doesn't let his faith be weakened or diminished by what is obvious to his own eyes. Now, 
when I read this as a kid, and I think actually one of the translations, I think NIV kind of translates this, I thought it was saying he was almost dead. You know, he was almost, you know, he's almost the end of his life. He's as good as, he's not, by the way, he's going to live for <laughs> many more years, a couple decades. But uh, I always thought he says he's going to die soon. But that's not really what Paul's saying. And I hope I'm not getting too crude today. I don't mean to get crude, but I want to be really, really specific about what he's saying. He's saying his flesh is as good as dead. Guys, a specific part of his flesh is as good as dead. If you're going to have a child, right, it takes two people, right, man and a woman, and uh, there's certain things that have to be working in order for that to happen. And for you know, some of you have kids, you know how this works. I don't think I'm telling you anything new. Well, let me just put it this way. In those days, they didn't have this, right? So there was nothing that Abraham could do. And basically, years and years before this, uh, what, what had happened was he did have a child. But what Paul's saying is by this time, he's 98, and this ain't happening anymore. And he can't turn to the little blue pill. He can't, and the reason I'm making a big deal of this is not because I like to make Viagra jokes, but because this is a change in the story of Abraham and Sarah. Up until now, it's always been Sarah's fault. We always were told that her womb was shut by God. She couldn't conceive children. And we saw this for sure in last week's episode of Abraham's life when we saw him have relations with Hagar and conceived. So clearly Abraham wasn't the problem. You know, man in his 80s, he could still do it. And he had a child through Hagar. But now Paul's saying he can't either. See, when you have a woman who hasn't been able to conceive for a long while and suddenly she conceives, oh, that's great. You know, we're like, oh, that's great. She conceives. That's wonderful. It's amazing. But when you have a woman who can't conceive and you have a man who can't perform and you still get a baby, it has to be a miracle. In other words, I believe the reason God waited was he wanted to make sure everybody understood this is a miracle. This is a miracle beyond what you could possibly imagine. It's not just, well, that was cool. Suddenly she had a child. It's, you know what? This was a miracle. So I, I don't know why, but God seems to like waiting until it has to be a miracle. And then he steps in. And I don't need him to. I'm like, you know, God, I'm cool with you just being a little miracle. I don't have to be this big miracle, but he likes doing this. But remember what Paul said. Even though this is his situation, his belief did not make him waver. His unbelief did not make him waver. So he looked at his body. He says, it's been a while, you know, since I've been visited by Mr. Happy. I can't do this anymore, right? But... He doesn't let that change his faith. That's kind of incredible to me. I don't know about you, but I'm like, wow, how does he keep his faith? Because it doesn't take much to me to ruin mine. You know, it doesn't take much at all. This is well beyond where I am. In fact, even it goes on and says he didn't even consider the barrenness of Sarah's womb. So his own body's not capable of it. Sarah's body's not capable of it. He doesn't consider either one of those things. This is like, this is what they're talking about, right? He has no doubt. Somehow, no wonder he's the father of faith. He has no doubt. No one believed made him waver concerning the promise of God. But, watch this, he grew strong in his faith. I want to know how to do that. Don't you? I, boy, my little faith, let it grow strong. How do you do that, Abraham? How did you do that? He gave strength, and then he gave glory to God. Well, that sounds like worshiping to me. Isn't that how we give glory to God, singing songs? Isn't that giving glory to God? So I'm, I'm picturing this, this man who's like, oh, there's no way I can do it, but I'm not going to be wavered. My faith is growing strong. And he starts singing a hymn, you know, 
Maybe one of the, you know, I shall overcome hymns or something. I, I don't know. But it's like this, this picture then of Abraham is this, this pinnacle of faith, praise of the Lord. That's what this kind of seems to me based on everything the word of faith teaches. It taught me it's what it looks like. And he's fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. And that is why his faith is counted to him as righteousness. I want you to notice one thing that Paul says here, though, because his wording is interesting. That which God had promised, he was able to perform. He's saying Abraham's faith was, I know God can do it. But was his faith God will do it? Because that's kind of how we're taught. And he goes on, uh, then he says, um, faith is basically righteousness. He's, what he's, that's really important because what he's saying is his faith was so strong that God forgave his sins for it. That's what righteousness is. It's right standing with God. His faith is so strong, all his sins are now forgiven. And then God goes on and says, look, um, don't continue to call your wife by the name of Sarai. Now, this is, a, this is kind of cool. This is a, I put this in here because this is Hebrew. Uh, at this time, by the way, Abraham was actually called Abram, and his wife's name was Sarai. Her name will be called Sarah, and I will give her my blessing. Why? Because in Hebrew, the, the Hebrew language, when the word H is added, that means God breathed. Isn't that cool? So Abraham became, Abram became Abraham because God breathed on him. He says, no longer call your wife Sarai, it's Sarah, because God breathed. So it's like God's breath has now come into this family. So, and you can be sure I will give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of nations will come from her. Now, why is this whole scene happening? Remember Ishmael, he, little baby born uh, last episode of Abraham's life? Well, he's grown up now. And he's come of age to the point where Abraham is getting ready to declare him his heir. It's his son. Hagar was his wife. It is going to be his heir, and he's going to bless him and give him his, his, his birthright, what was called. And as he's getting ready to do that, he gets called off to a conference with God and says, no, you're not. I'm going to give you a son from Sarah. I always said I would. I'm still going to do it. And Abraham is like, oh, okay, 98, 99 years old, going to give me a son, Really? So he's a righteous man because of his faith. How, what does that look like? I kind of just picture that a little bit because it's more fun if you do. Uh, picture what that lo- must look like when he's told this. Oh, hallelujah, Lord, breaks out in psalm, you know, something kind of. There's, there's some great psalms in the Bible that people that like, like Samuel's mother just breaks out into and starts singing. That is an amazing thing. going to be something like that. And just picture what it's going to look like. And then let's go to the tape. And let's look what actually happens because this is the next verse in the book of Genesis that Paul is referring to. And Abraham fell to his face laughing. I don't know about you, but that doesn't fit my picture of faith. He literally laughs in God's face so hard he falls to the ground. You're going to give me a son? (laughs) He falls to the ground laughing. And look what he says to himself. He can't express doubt. Remember that? Can't do that. Look what he says to himself. He doesn't want to say it to God, although God knows. Can a hundred-year-old man have a son? Could Sarah have a child at age of 90? This is is insane, he's thinking. He's laughing about it. It's so crazy, it just makes him laugh. And then he gets up off his feet where he's been laughing in the face of God. He says this, I really wish he would just bless Ishmael. Can we give up on this idea, please, God? Ishmael's my son. Let's just bless him and get on with us growing nations from him. Let's use Ishmael. 
So he, this righteous man basically just, just did a top three. Had disbelief. He actually spoke it out loud and he denied God's entire promise and God's entire plan. Now remember, Paul said, this is the picture of faith. This is it. This is your picture of faith, folks. Do you see any faith there? Because I don't. This, is not pit, this does not fit anything that we've ever been told about faith. And yet, we're supposed to look to the Scripture to get faith. Uh, actually, Paul tells us that later in Romans. Faith comes by hearing and the hearing of God's Word. We're supposed to go to the Scriptures to get your faith. Not your Word of Faith teachers, not the seminars, not DVDs. Paul says you can go to the Scripture and get faith. And this thing he's talking about is the Scripture we're supposed to go to, and we look at that and we say, I don't get it. Because this doesn't look like any kind of faith I've ever seen. I don't understand how he's even the father of faith. I don't understand how he's still alive. I always thought if I laughed in God's face, he'd strike me dead. I didn't think this was going to go anywhere. See, none of this that I've shown you so far is a picture of Abraham's faith. This is a picture of Abraham's humanity, which we all have. Come on, 100-year-old man having a baby? It's pretty funny. Wouldn't you laugh? God gives you this, I'm going to do this. Okay. Yeah, right. That's, that's a natural reaction. We don't have to turn into automaton robots in order to please God. He doesn't, he doesn't get angry at Abraham for it. He probably chuckled along with him. I know you think it's funny. Wait. Wait until you're, you wait until you're you know, trying to run around and chase a kid at 100 years old. You, you just think the hard part's now. You just wait. Change the diaper of a kid when you're 100. I can't imagine, you know? So uh, good thing he has lots of servants. So the very next verse, though, is where we see the faith kick in. I want to show you this. <clears throat> when God had finished speaking, and when they're all done laughing together, he left, and on that same day, the same day, I'm going to say it again, the same day that he was laughing at God, Abraham circumcised his son Ishmael and circumcised every male who was born in his house. Why is that there? Because the covenant that God gave him was this. I'm going to make you a great nation. That's what I'm going to do. Here's what you're going to do. In order to honor that, you're going to circumcise everybody in your family forever. And that will be our little sign of the covenant between each other. Let me give you a new definition of faith that maybe you don't like. But this is what you pull out of this whole passage in, in, in Genesis. Faith is acting as though what God said is true, even when you don't believe it can be. Because that's what we're looking at right here. Abraham's saying, look, uh, okay, <laughs> I don't see this happening. But that's God's point, and that's what he's supposed to do, this impossible thing. Okay, I don't think it's going to happen. You can't blame Abraham, by the way. It's been 25 years he's been waiting for this. That's a long time. I've been waiting 25 months. I'm out. Right? So give, give Abraham some credit here. He's 100 years old, and he's been waiting for 25 years. This isn't going to happen. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to act as though it is going to happen. I'm still going to keep my covenant with the Lord, even though I don't believe this is going to happen. I think it's too late. I think it's too late. See, here's the thing that we've got to get, because we mix emotions and spirituality, and we shouldn't. And I understand why, because if any of you have had a kind of spiritual experience, it's emotional too. You know, the times that God has spoken to me, you know, I weep and, you know, just get all mushy. And I understand I have emotional reactions to spiritual experiences, but you can't confuse those two. Because you can have all kind of emotions that have nothing to do with the spirit world. A lot of things can create emotional things in you. But faith is not a feeling. 
It's a decision. See, Abraham had decided 25 years ago to follow Jehovah. And he was deciding on this day he's still going to. Faith is not a feeling. It's a decision. And actually, if you think about it, that's good news. Because I have a hard time kind of getting that perfect nothingness of feeling of faith. But I can do things. I can keep doing things even when I don't feel it. I can. And what God says is, that's what I want. In fact, Jesus tells a parable that really kind of touches on this a little bit. He's talking to me. He says, well, let me ask you a question. Let me, what do you think? A man had two sons. He came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And the son answered and said, no, I'm not going to do that. But afterward, he regretted it and he went. And he came to the second son and said the same thing. And then that son answered and says, yes, I will go. I will go and do that. But he did not go. And then Jesus asked you this question. Which of the two did the will of his father? I said, I don't care what you're pretending. I don't care what you say with your lips. I don't care what you feel. What I care is what did you do? Which one did the will of the father? See, Abraham did the will of God. He didn't feel it. I think God, God loved him more for that. If you know God's going to give you something, if I do this and you do this, what would you do it for? God or the gift that he was going to give you? But he knows Abraham's doing it because he loves him. He knows that. So when God's promise remains unfulfilled in your life, which is where I am right now in a couple places in my life, and that's where the church is right now. I do believe we're going to get a building. I do. But the promise has not yet been fulfilled. What do you do while you're waiting? I've talked about this last week. I hate waiting. Hate it, hate it, hate it. But what do you do while you're waiting for God's promise to be shown to you? What do you do? Well, there's three choices. First of all, um, you have the faithless choice. And that basically says, you go first, God. You do it, and then I'll do it. You show me, you know, what you're going to do, and then I'll do it. And here's the thing. When you're a young Christian, God actually honors that because he's trying to teach you to trust him. So if anybody's here have been saved for just a year or two, you've probably got some prayers answered even though this is what you said. But there's going to come a time when God expects more of you as you grow in him, the growing of the faith. Um, I've told this before, but when the Israelites are pulled out of slavery, out of Egypt, and the, remember the Pharaoh's army's chasing them, and they're up against the Red Sea, and they're going to get wiped out, and God says, move forward, and he parts the Red Sea, and they walked across on dry land. That's because they were new. Forty years later, they cross over the Jordan to fight the first battle in the Promised Land. And they have to cross through the river, right? And they're all lined up in the river, and they're standing there, and God says, what are you waiting for? And he waits until the priests walk into the water before he parts it. They got their feet wet that time, right? Because there comes a time in our lives where God expects a little more of us. We're supposed to be growing in faith. We're supposed to trust him even before the water's part. So the faithless, the early Christian, they're going to say, well, God, you go first. And that's not going to work forever in your life. Eventually, God said, no, you're going to obey first. And then I'm going to do my part. That's one. And then there's always the pretenders. And all they're doing is focusing on their feelings. And, and there's no way around it. This is what the teaching is. If you get your feelings right, God has to do what you say. That's the word of faith teaching in a nutshell. If you get it right, you know, no doubt. You just get it right. You visualize it. You've named it, you've claimed it. You get it right, God has to do it for you. That's what they tell them. That's, that's not even true. That's not even true. If their stuff's getting answered, it's not coming from God. That's not how he works. But let me tell you how the faithful work, how Abraham works. God continues to do, I mean, Abraham continues to do what God told him to do, 
while he's waiting for God to do what he said he would do. This is growing in faith. His faith grew. You know how his faith grew? His faith grew by him doing what God told him to do. And you want to know how he glorified God? It wasn't singing a hymn. It was being obedient to what he was told to do. Now let me ask you a question. Those of you who know how procreation works. Does what Abraham did have anything to do with conceiving a child? No. He's not even circumcising himself. He says everybody else in his family, he's already, he's already circumcised. That has nothing to do with this. Nothing, he doesn't, what he does doesn't touch Sarah and doesn't touch him. It's completely off here that God told him to do. How's that going to get me anywhere, God? Maybe, maybe I should go, you know, wash myself in some special spring or something. Maybe that would help. Something that God told me to make sense, right? But God told him to do something that makes no sense at all. This doesn't move my miracle ahead any. Oftentimes, God has told us to do something that we've discounted because it just seems silly. Why, why would I do this? Why? It doesn't make any sense to me at all. I'm not going to do that. Let's focus on the problem, God. God's saying, here's the problem. You're not obedient. That's the problem. You want to glorify God? Song's good. Obedience is better. James, uh, Jesus' brother, he, he, he puts it in a way that kind of freaks people out because it seems like he's contradicting Paul. He says, well, look at Abraham. Look at our father. He was justified by works. Well, wait a minute. I thought Paul said he was justified by faith. You can't separate the two. That's like separating a, a flame and a heat. You can't. The flame, heat, they're together. You can't separate them. He said, do you see that faith was working together with his works? And, and by works, the faith was perfected? If Abraham hadn't done what he did, would that have been faith? No. What made his faith was what he did. That's what he says. The scripture fulfilled. Abraham believed God and it was accounted him for righteousness. What does believing mean? Just holding it in your heart? No. He went out and circumcised 387 people. That's a day's work. Let me tell you something. Especially with a flint knife. I can't even think. That's, that's not easy. That's how he obeyed God. That's how he showed his faith. That's how he brought glory to God. That's how his faith grew. It grew by what he did, not by what he felt. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. There is no kind of hidden faith that you hold into you. That's Buddhism. You know, contemplate the candle. It's perfect. Nothing. That's Buddhism. That's not Christianity. Christianity is saying, look, you're going to obey God, right? We're friends, right? We're in this together, right? God told you to do something. You're going to do it. But God, what you told me to do makes no sense at all. I told you to do it. I see things you don't see. You're going to trust me or not? See, that's the thing. The faithful will continue to do what they're told to do while they're waiting for God to do what he said he would do. That's the faithful. Again, part of this is a little bit discouraging because there is no magic formula. But some of it, to me, is very, very encouraging because I'm going to be honest with you. There's times I don't feel like preaching. There's times like, well, could you dose me with some faith right now because I need to get up there and preach about something that I'm not feeling right now because my relationship with God isn't where I want it to be and God hasn't done what he told me he would do. And I'm like, I'm not feeling it right now. But God doesn't need me to sit up here only when I feel it. He needs me to sit up here when I'm told to sit up here. Can I be faithful even when I'm not feeling it? Can you? Because that's what true faith is. 
We spend so much time trying to get the feeling right, and we forget that your faith is not measured by what you feel. It's measured by what you do. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a great and merciful God. I'm